So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we commit our time to you this afternoon. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lead us into all truth, just as your word said that you would, that this afternoon we would be challenged, we would be encouraged, we would be motivated, Lord, that our mentality would change and come in line with your Holy Spirit. You know, how can we, how can we do anything of, our, of ourselves? We need to know that you are sovereign and you are with us and you have got us. You haven't abandoned us to ourselves, but you actually hold us in the very palm of your hand. And sometimes we can feel lost and feel that sense of abandonment to our own decision-making, our own thought processes. But I thank you, Father, that you are a God of grace and you've got us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Okay, well, if you want a title for today's sermon, it is Taming Our Lions. Taming Our Lions. Okay. And uh, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. And it says, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek their own good, but the good of others. Amen? So we have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is constructive. Okay? Now, there are things in life, they're not sin. It's not sinful to do certain things but it's also not helpful to do certain things. Or it's not, you might have the right answer, but you give the right answer at the wrong time. And as I've said this so many times, Daniel had wisdom, the Bible says, and tact. It says he had wisdom and tact. Wisdom is the answer to the problem. Tact is the timing that you give the answer. Because you might have the right answer, but you're going to say it at the wrong time. Okay? But it is the right answer. But if you give the right answer at the wrong time, it doesn't always go down well. Okay? And uh, there's been many times that I've been in situations where I've wanted to say something which is right for me to say, but I've had to bite my tongue because it's just the wrong time. It's just not wise to say it at that moment. And that's the wonderful thing uh, with Daniel. See, lots of Christians, they've got the right answer for their families, for situations, things we face, but they just say it at the wrong time. And it's, it's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that gives you the timing, okay? Now, often we live in, uh, in the realms of black and white, it's either black or white. When I first met Mara, everything was black or white. There was no grey or rainbow colour or anything. Everything was black and white. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either good or it's bad. It's either good or it's evil. But in reality, there are lots of areas in the Christian walk that are grey. Not everything is black and white. Some things are grey. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish between black and white. And that's because it's not necessarily right, it's not necessarily wrong. It kind of sits in the middle. 
And sometimes as Christians, we can't cope with that. It has to be very clear to us. We don't do kind of being in the middle. And sometimes the being in the middle is when God is letting you make the decision yourself. Because God wants you to make decisions, okay? Many things are permissible, Scripture says, but not everything is beneficial. Now, when we work under the Holy Spirit and we walk close to the Lord, we will hear his voice, we will receive that direction, and we're more likely to live making the right decisions. But if we're not careful, things that are not sin, they're okay in the Lord, it's fine. But if we step out of the Spirit into the flesh, those things can become wrong. Okay? So all the time we're controlled by the Holy Spirit and we're listening to the voice of the Lord, that, you know, we can deal with things quite well, they're under control, we've got it in hand. But the same thing taken out from under the Holy Spirit and taken into the flesh of our emotion and our mind and everything like that, suddenly it can become wrong. It can become dysfunctional. It can go too far, okay? And we have to have the sensitivity to walk in life in the Spirit, you know? And having confidence to walk life in the Spirit. Now, this is just an example. There's lots of examples that I could choose, but I'm picking on this one because it's quite relatable in modern-day life. Now, a big taboo in Christianity for lots of people is alcohol. Alcohol is a big taboo. Now, if you go to uh, America and you go to the Bible Belt, you know, people don't drink alcohol at all. It, it would be frowned upon. And I've been to America. I've also had American pastors come over here and hosted them. And there is a big stigma and they feel very clearly that any form of alcohol, uh, alcoholic drink is wrong, okay? So this is quite a good one. I'm just picking on it because it's a very good example, okay? But it could be anything. It could be lots of other things. So for many, alcohol is sinful to drink. And as a Christian, many Christians believe you shouldn't drink it. Others believe perfectly fine. No problem at all. So with lots of the areas we deal with in Christian conscience, we always need to come back to what the Word of God says. What is the theme of the Word of God? What does that say? What does that imply? What's clear from the Word of God? Because it's very easy to pluck scriptures out of the Bible and throw them at people out of context. Okay? Bring your firstborn and have them circumcised. Well, let's just pluck that out of the Bible and just throw it to somebody. Well, the Bible says you should do this, that and the other. Uh, what, 617 laws, Levitical laws, 617. And we could pick some of them out and start throwing them at people. You know what? It's, it's terrible in the, in, under them laws. A man should not shave his head. I mean, Steve ain't got much choice, but uh, a, man, a man should not shave his head. So Carl would be in trouble if he was a Jew living back under the law. You know, there's so many laws, and if you read them, you think these are bizarre. 
But Christ said we are not under the law. Hallelujah. He's come to fulfill the law. So we need to look at what the word says and we need to find balance. Now there's lots of things that are in grey areas, so how do we find balance? Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. So we could take that scripture this morning and say, well look, if you, if you drink wine or if you drink beer, well you're in trouble. That's it. You shouldn't be drinking this stuff. It's wrong. Well, that would be to take scripture out of context. And it says, wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler, comma. There's a little comma. And it says, whoever is led, led astray by them is not wise. It doesn't say you can't drink it. It says who is, whoever is led astray by them. You know? And it's true. My dad was not much of a drinker, my, my stepfather, and when we used to go out to things, he used to like it, because he said, I love going there, he said, and family parties and whatnot, because he said, you get there and everyone's sober. And they're all talking. But he said, as the night goes on, they get more and more drunk and tipsy, and he said, and they talk more and more, well, rubbish. And he said, and I just like watching it. He thought it was funny, you know, but he didn't have an issue either way. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, verse 18. says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Amen? Now, if you think of somebody when they get drunk on wine or beer, whatever they get drunk on, they suddenly turn into Tom Jones or Elvis Presley, I love you. And suddenly they think they can sing and all this sort of thing. They're staggering all over the place and they're, they're looking at whoever it is they love. Probably their reflection in the mirror. You know, and men, strong men, men's men, stiff British upper lip, wouldn't say anything loving or kind. A few drinks, I love you, bro. I love you too. I wish we fought in the war together. We would have been great, we would. You know, and, and it, it invokes this kind of thing. But, but, when we're led by the Spirit, it says we should speak to one another in song as well. There's something in humanity that desires to sing and sing songs from the Spirit, which is in spirit and in truth. See, when you're drunk, you look at each other like, oh, I love you, I love you too. You know what? You're beautiful, you are. See, when you're in the spirit, you say, well, I love you, I love you too. Not that good looking, really. <laughs> Not really, I'm joking, I'm joking. That's what you say in the morning when you wake up. No. Uh, so, do not get drunk on wine. It says do not drink wine. It says do not get drunk on wine. Are we controlled by the flesh or controlled by the spirit? The problem is when you get drunk, you are controlled by the spirit, it's just not the Holy Spirit. And people get leery. Oh, when they get drunk, suddenly they think they're Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, was the same. When I used to go drinking, go out, a little pint-sized, yeah, very thin person, thank you, Mike, we all know. 
thin and scrawny and whatnot, and I'd go out with me brothers and we'd go out drinking, and after a couple of pints, mate, hey! Yeah, I'd like Popeye, suddenly I'm like, yeah! You know, I'm walking out like this, you know, yeah, you want something, yeah, come on then, bring your mother, like, you know, all this sort of stuff, and all of a sudden there's a fake boldness, you know? You haven't actually changed, you're still the same scrawny eight-stone person, but in your life, not anymore. Not anymore. It's like, come on, and you suddenly change. That's when you get drunk. It changes your perception of things, and you're going to make mistakes. Don't say things in an argument. If you've been drinking, you're going to say the wrong thing. Genesis 9.20, we see that Noah, who was a man of the soil, that meant he planted vineyards, uh, a drunk wine, and he got drunk. And he went to bed, but bare. He didn't cover himself up. And the sons had gone in the room. There'd be Caleb in my room. He just burst in. Oh, hello. The sons have come in, and they've, they've looked, and they go, whoa, whoa, Dad's got nothing on. Quick, quick. And they walked in backwards, covering, covering him up and, to save his integrity. But see, when you're drunk, you don't care about your integrity. It goes out the window. You don't care if you make a fool of yourself. And that's what getting drunk does to people. They then make the wrong decisions because they're drunk and they're under that influence. And we do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do if someone's drunk say stuff, do stuff, and wake up to regret it. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, why did I do this, so on and so forth. Lot with his two daughters. The two daughters, there were no men around, they were living in the mountains. They said, hey, let's get dad drunk. We've got no husbands, we'll sleep with him. And they get him drunk and he sleeps with them. Incest. It happens under the influence of alcohol. Now we can look at these things as, whoa, we shouldn't, you know? And a lot of people stand right away from drink, and so be it if that's their conviction. You know? It's not right or wrong. My son Luke doesn't drink at all. Well, he does, but not alcohol. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't drink alcohol at all. Why? Because he just don't like the taste. He hasn't took a vow, he's not a monk, he's not going off to live in Guatemala on a mountain. He just don't like it, and that's fine. His brother and his sister have tried for years, come on, please, we beg you, have half a shandy for the love of God. I don't like it, no, you know. Mara will drink uh, a drop of wine, or uh, not wine, what is it, Bailey's? No? What is it? Port. That one. Uh, but she doesn't like the taste of alcohol in general. Some people, and if that's their persuasion, it's fine. Other people, they drink, they enjoy it. But don't get drunk. Don't become a drunken. Because it will not put you in a good place. And you will make wrong decisions. Now many people in the Bible, including John the Baptist, did not consume alcohol. It was specific that they should not consume alcohol. 
and he was a Nazarite. That meant they took a vow of consecration in service to God. And this vow meant for a Nazarite priest, they would refrain from all kinds of, not just alcohol, and this is where people misinterpret things. This vow meant that they would refrain, refrain from taking anything from the vine. So not only did he not drink alcohol, he didn't eat grapes, he didn't eat sultanas either, he didn't drink grape juice, alcoholic or not, he took nothing from the vine. Wine was just one produce from the vine. But there were several produce from the vine, and as a Nazarite, they wouldn't take any. They refrained from all of them. So, if you look at these things, we can say, well, Scripture says this, that, and the other. But the Bible also highlights where it was appropriate to consume alcohol. It was enjoyed by the people at the time. And this is throughout Scripture. And many uh, festivals, even today, Jewish festivals, alcohol would be present at these festivals. Now, one of the most common uh, Scriptures is when Jesus went to the wedding. And Jesus went to the wedding uh, in Cana of Galilee, John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus' Jesus's disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. You know, you know exactly if you're a married man, when your wife says something to you like that, oh, there's no more salt. That means get up and get the salt, you know? You have to understand the language of a woman. Come on, you really do. So Jesus' mother said, the wine is gone, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? This is not my hour, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I mean, she's relentless. He says to her, why have you involved me? This is not my time. Leave it. So she bypasses him, looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And she's really pinned Jesus to the wall here. Nearby stood six water jars, the kind used for, by Jews for ceremonial washing holding from, at least from 20 to 30 gallons. Gallons! Jesus said to the servant, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw, water, uh, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did it. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine, not grape juice. It was not grape juice, okay? It was wine. He did not realise where it had come from. Though the, servants, uh, though the servants who had drew it knew that it was water, that it had been drawn from the water. Then he said to the bridegroom, he took him aside, everyone brings out their choice wine first and then their cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you have saved the best till now. Now this again emphasises it's not grape juice, okay? 
You've done it. You bought out your best first. And you thought, well, you know, lots of people do it at weddings. They put, oh, let's have some nice table wine. They'll have a few glasses of that, and then the other stuff won't seem quite so bad. After we've done the table wine, we'll bring out the blue nun and the lambrisco. <laughs> yeah, come on. You've been there, haven't you? You know you have. We'll bring out the lambrisco and blue nun after we've had the, we've had the Blossom Hill, whatever it is the people are drinking. This was an alcoholic drink. And Jesus doesn't do it and think, well, we're just giving some really shabby stuff. Jesus turns the water into the best quality wine. He doesn't refrain and say, well, I disagree with this, I'll give them half-hearted stuff. He gives them the best quality wine. And in actual fact, it brings honour to the bridegroom. Psalm 104, verse 14. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. You bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of men and oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen his heart. Who brings it forth? God brings it forth to gladden the heart of men. See, what you've got to distinguish is between what God creates and what man, re what man abuses. See, God creates lots of things for us which are fine to use and be enjoyed, but man abuses things. Now, that same product, and we're just picking on wine for the sake of it, that same product, that glass of wine, is fine. It's enjoyable. It gladdens your heart. Enjoy it. But if you take that and you keep drinking it and drinking it and abusing your body and affecting your organs and uh, you're drunk and you become abusive and you can't function, that that was pure now became impure. But it's not impure in itself. It's become impure in the hands of man abusing it. And now it's a problem. But it wasn't a problem when God gave it to us. It's the same as many different things can be a problem if you abuse them. Now it's a problem. You know? It's fine to watch TV, watch your favourite show, but if you're lazy and you sit indoors all day and you watch telly 24-7, that's a problem. All things are permissible, but not everything's beneficial. You know? Give your kids a packet of Skittles, it's fine. Give them 52 packets of Skittles in half hour, that's not beneficial. The neighbours will be knocking on your door. The kids will be climbing the rafters. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we, we a lot of what God has given us for our enjoyment and our good has got sort of like hijacked by religion. You can't enjoy that. Oh, no, you can't enjoy that. Oh, you can't have that. Oh, you mustn't do this. No, you mustn't do that. Most non-Christians don't want to go to church because they think there's going to be loads of balls and they can't have any fun anymore. That, that's why they don't want to come. And Christians have got a reputation for being bored, joys, for being boring. With, that is the reputation of the bride of Christ. Not this little particular part of the bride of Christ. We're party animals. But, you know... <laughs> That it is the reputation. Christians can't have fun. They're boring. You know? But a lot of people who meet me and say, Oh, I didn't realise you were a pastor. And I go, Really? Why? They say, 
Well, you're kind of, what, normal? That's the word. Yeah. You don't look like a pastor. Yeah, it's up for debate. You don't look like a pastor. What's a pastor look like? With someone who's boring, you know? But God has given us freedom and liberty. Hallelujah. Where the Holy Spirit is, there's freedom and liberty. Ecclesiastes 9.7 Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do. Wow. Who won't like that in the Bible Belt? God has already approved what you do. Eat with gladness, with thanksgiving. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord with honour and integrity. Hallelujah. Amen? And stop worrying about what other people are doing. So many Christians worrying about the behaviour of somebody else rather than themselves. Do you know, I have more people probably come to me and say, well, I'm worried about so-and-so, they've been doing X, Y, and Z, than what they actually come to me and say, I'm worried about themselves, this is what I've been doing. <laughs> you know, I've got a problem with me. No, they've got a problem. Stop, take the plank out your eye. Take the Amazon jungle out your eye. Stop judging everyone and start loving them. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the convictor of sin. Holy Spirit, don't make him unemployed. Right? It's his job. Don't need you as his mouthpiece. He will convict the hearts of men. Amen? Hallelujah. We've got to do that. What we've got to do is love them. You haven't got to agree. If something's wrong, you don't get involved and you can say, well, I disagree with that. If you want to do it, it's up to you. That's not my persuasion. But we haven't got to run around as judge, jury and executioner all the time. Rather, people should be looking at the church, looking at the Bible and saying, man, you guys know how to party. You guys are so, you're full of this thing called joy. You're happy even though the world's a disaster. You're happy even though this didn't work out for you. You're happy even though you've had a brain tumor. You've got, how did you cope this week? No, last week. Last week, uh, a friend of mine from school, going back a hundred years, I haven't seen her for years. Yeah. <laughs> And she contacts me and says, oh, I see your wife's gone through this thing, this brain tumour thing. I said, yeah. And she said, Matthew, I don't know who to turn to. I was diagnosed last Thursday with a brain tumour. I am so petrified. I'm so scared. I'm only 50 years old. I don't know what to do. The doctors aren't communicating with me. My local surgery won't tell me what to do. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what, I'm so full of fear. You need my wife. I'll give you a number. Mara's been on the phone to this woman nearly every day since, transforming her thinking, bringing love, reassurance, care, blessing, even though she's still coming through it. You know? Wonderful. You've got to pray for her salvation now. Pray that through this, she'll get saved. Wonderful. Wonderful. 1 Timothy 5.23 Stop drinking only water and use a little wine for your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Okay, so the great apostle 
He's training Timothy. Timothy's got an upset belly or whatever he's got. And the great apostle says to him, stop just drinking water, have a little wine for your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So the other day, I'm down Tesco's, I see a nice bottle of red wine. So I've got a bad belly. Am I allowed? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm pulling your leg. I'm pulling your leg. But we can get into this religious rules and regulations and which we're not caught up in these things. What God means for good, Satan tries to turn for bad. He always does. And we've got to take the ground back a little bit and go, well, now hang on a minute. God gave me this to be a blessing. At the Last Supper, Jesus used wine, bread and wine, to remember him, symbolic of his death, burial and resurrection. Why? He could have used grape juice if he wanted, but he didn't. He used wine. But we often get beaten up and put under the law of religion. Some of the laws the Jews needed to think. You cannot shave your head. You cannot shave your beard. You cannot, if you were a Jew, you cannot wear clothes under the law of mixed fabric. You cannot wear clothes of mixed fabric. If you suffer from leprosy, you should shave your head. Well, I partly agree with that. I think fair enough. Uh, here's one. You cannot take an entire bird's nest. You can take the eggs of a bird, but you can't take the whole bird's nest. One of the rules. You cannot shave the, the head of the dead. don't know if you do that at your funeral party. You can't shave the head of the dead. You can't eat anything seen to be unclean. Prawns, lobsters, pork. Well, that's us done for Christmas, isn't it? Pigs in blankets. Ah! Prawn cocktail starter. No! But we are not under the law. We are under grace. And Peter had the vision that all food was fine and cleansed and acceptable. Now, if you don't want to eat it, that's fine. If somebody else doesn't want to eat it, don't beat them up over it. In actual fact, the Bible says, view them as a weaker brother. Okay? And that's fine. Some people don't eat meat for health reasons and whatever. It's fine. But let's not be under the law. We're under grace. The grace of God. When you look at the laws, Matthew 5, I mean, sheesh, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, what a, what a sermon Jesus gave, and he did it on purpose to make the religious leaders understand they couldn't keep the law anyway, and they certainly couldn't keep the standard of Christ. You say adultery is wrong under the law. Jesus comes along and says, I'll give you my standard. Even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her. What? Murder is wrong under the law, but I tell you, even if you say raka, which means fool, even if you call your brother a fool, you've committed murder in your heart. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. If we lived under the law, we would be the mutilated body of Christ. 
sitting here with arms and legs and heads missing and everything else. But we're not under the law. We're under grace. Hallelujah. And Jesus paid the price for us at the cross because we couldn't make it. He said, stop judging each other. You can't do it. And that was the point. And he brought in this wonderful grace for each and every one of us. We don't have to perform. How many times do you read your Bible this week, Was Don't answer. How many times do you read your Bible this week? Don't answer. How many times do you read your Bible? What? What? We're not under the law. We're under some religious law. That didn't qualify me. Yes, it's good to read the Word. Whether you read a little bit of it or a lot of it. Whether you pray for half an hour or you just said a sentence. We're not religious. We're in relationship. Hallelujah. And we're set free from the law. And we live under the new law of grace. I mean, we picked on alcohol this morning. But food. Is food sinful in itself? No. Food's healthy. It's no problem. It's not sinful. Yeah, it's sinful. Take it over to the other side. You just can't stop eating. And you've now got a problem with weight. And you've got a problem with gluttony. And now you've moved into the flesh. And now that overconsumption of food is gluttony. And now it's become sinful. Your behaviour has become sinful. That, that prawn sandwich ain't sinful. It's the fact that you want to eat all of them. That's sinful. Marvel with her boxes of uh, liqueurs. Yes, let all her secrets out now. Boxes of liqueurs. She loves them. But when she's eating boxes. her liqueurs, she yeah, only one box, she says. It's meant to be only one liqueur. She opened her box of liqueurs. Come up for oxygen, and then, and then, and then, and then what she does, she says, chocolate, chocolate. And then she'll look at me and she'll look at the box and she'll say, oh, oh, I don't want to feel guilty. Would you like one? And I say, I'm not indulging in your gluttonous behavior, woman. She's like, oh, good, I'll have that. Well, it's, it's, you know, we have to be careful. Your body, my mum, my stepdad weighed uh, nearly 30 stone and my mum used to say to him, David, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, not the cathedral. <laughs> but my dad would just turn around and say, yeah, but there's more of me to love, you see. Gluttony. Rest, 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 rest. But there's a difference between laziness. They're the same thing, but one's taken into the flesh. But they're the same thing. Not sin, but it gets pulled into the flesh, becomes sin. We have to add that balance. Pride. You know, you can, you can be proud of things. I'm proud with the way England played yesterday. I'd rather us go out and win well, go out that we, we put up a good fight, than be terrible and go out. And sometimes we get mixed up with pride. I said to my son Caleb this week, I was proud of him. Does that mean I'm sinful? No, I'm acknowledging his achievements and I'm proud of what he's done. 
But when I become self-proud and I put myself above others, now there's a problem. You see? An innocent crush on somebody, when you're young and you want to meet someone, it's an innocent crush, it's physical attraction. No one wants to marry the back of a bus. There's got to be some sort of physical switch to turn on, surely. And so, and it's fine that you find that person attractive. But when them innocent thoughts of that's a beautiful woman turn into lust, and you're lusting after that woman, you're undressing them with your eyes, you can't stop this, now it's become a problem. But the fact that you find that woman attractive is not a problem. I can remember years ago, uh, I made a decision. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get angry with men who found my wife or daughter attractive. I find my wife attractive. I find my daughter very pretty. Uh, I'm not, I've not got a problem with it. You haven't got to see a beautiful tree and say, oh, it's ugly, it's awful. I found my wife attractive. So if somebody else found her attractive, it was almost a compliment to me. You know, yeah, I've got an attractive wife, lovely. But when that goes beyond what it should be, then you've got to step in. But there's nothing wrong with seeing somebody who's beautiful and say, oh, that's a beautiful person. Caleb the other day was talking about some bloke. He said, oh, it's a really good-looking bloke. He's got really good physique. I thought he was talking about me, but it wasn't. <laughs> it's somebody else. And I said to him, you be careful, son. You be careful. He said, oh, I've got a girlfriend. I'm not saying anything like that. It's just a nice-looking person. I said, all right, then, as long as we're clear. But do you understand what I'm saying? It's so easy to... to to let things fall into the flesh, although they're actually okay. There's a difference between the reality of feeling, I feel lonely. I feel lonely. I've not got many people in my life, or I've lost a, a life partner or whatever it is, and I feel lonely. And that's normal and fine, and we're there for that. But when that changes into the things where we turn around and say, God's abandoned me. God's not done it for me. God's done it. Now you've moved into sin. You've allowed those feelings to move into the flesh. And it's having that balance, just being balanced. There's some areas of grey in life. Now for a moment, if you consider a lion, a lion is a beautiful animal. Lions probably, lions and penguins my favourite, yeah, yeah, because I've got the heart of a penguin, but I've got the, the walk, uh, uh, heart of a lion with the walk of a penguin. Now, they're, they're my, I love them. And when we lived in South Africa, we lived next to a lion reserve. So half five in the morning, you would hear the lions roar, and it would just travel down across the field. It was beautiful. And I went to the lion reserve, oh, drive through it in a minibus, absolute beautiful, majestic lions doing all their thing, and it's, it's, oh, it's beautiful. Then one of the Chinese tourists comes along and decides he wants to have a selfie with the lion. So he gets off of the bus, goes to sit down next to a little pussycat, puts his arm around the lion, and eats him alive in front of all of them. Now the lion's not sinful. The man is stupid. That's the problem. 
Sometimes we're stupid. The thing's not a problem. But lion, there's this guy on YouTube and he's got all these lions as pets. They're amazing. And he sort of opened the gate. These lions come running up at him. They jump over him and pulling him around. Absolutely, for me, that is just heaven. For Liam, that would be heaven. Absolutely, just with these lions. And in heaven, it says the child will, will lead out the cobra and the lion. So when we get to heaven, it'll be all right. But while we're down here, I don't advise it. But lions are beautiful animals if tamed. If you see a tamed, ah. Oh. If it's not tamed, you're going to have some problems. That lion is not going to save you for afters. You will be main course. You'll be starter, in actual fact. And then they use your bone to get the bits out of it, like a toothpick. Now, sometimes with our things, these areas, maybe your problem's rejection, and it's a lion in your life. Maybe your problem, there's a health issue. Maybe you're a bit religious. You're a bit of a wall stickler. I'm not saying abandon all the walls, freedom, but maybe you're a bit religious. Maybe you're a bit this, that, and the other. Maybe there's some lions in your life that in actual fact are pulling over to the flesh and you just need to tame them. You need to get them back under control. Because if they're under control, they're wonderful things and they're not sinful. Now, I had a red macaw bird. Beautiful was, absolutely beautiful. A red macaw bird in the wild, that bird would rip your finger off, break your finger like anything, no problem at all. This was my one, and he's like a cat. And he loved me. Beautiful, beautiful bird. See, I could do all that to him, but I had to tame him. When we first got him, he wasn't like that. So what I did, I tamed him, and I taught him to fly. This is me teaching him to fly. It's in slow motion, by the way. What beautiful, majestic creature. Tamed. Wonderful. You do that with an untamed one. You go near it, that's going to break your finger off. Some of the things in our lives are beautiful. You've just got to keep them tamed. Maybe you need to pull some things back. Fears have crept in again. Those lions of fears, you need to just pull it back. You need to tame them. You need to put them under the blood of Jesus. You need to strengthen again. Amen? Now, First uh, Timothy 16, verse 17 and 19, I'm not going to read it all, but it says, uh, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. For your enjoyment. It's fine. Stop getting caught up in religion. God wants you to enjoy your life, not endure your life. But to actually enjoy your life. That's what God wants for you. To enjoy life. Do you enjoy life or are you a moaner? Moan about this, moan about that, moan about that one, moan about this, moan about that. And you, you don't enjoy life. And sometimes you've got to start saying, you know, wouldn't it be sad if I didn't really enjoy the life that God gave me? 
I didn't enjoy it. Wouldn't it be sad if your lions were just all untamed? So you couldn't enjoy food, you couldn't enjoy a drink, you can't enjoy this, you can't, it all gets out of control and you get pulled into the flesh with it. But you've got to keep it tamed. Some things, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Now some things, if you know it's a weakness, then just leave it. Don't invite it into your life if you know it's going to trip you up. There are some times I won't deal with certain things because I know it'll trip me up. I'll deal with it in the flesh. If I react straight away, man alive, I'm in trouble afterwards because I'll be on my knees repenting. So I'm getting wiser and I'm thinking, do you know what, I'm just going to let it go. It's not that I don't care or I haven't seen it. I can't deal with it right now because my flesh will be stronger than my spirit. But if I leave it right now, I can go away, my spiritual man will deal with it, and my fleshly man won't get in, and I can deal with it properly. And sometimes, delay is a good thing. Sometimes. So how do we do it? You know, seeking God's will. Sometimes seeking God's will through a situation, we want God, we all want God's will. Of course we do. Hallelujah. We all want God's will. You know, that goes without saying. If we didn't want God's will, we wouldn't be Christians. We would have to question our salvation. If I don't want God's will, even Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. But did he want to die at the cross? He actually said, take this cup from me, but not my will. And he surrendered to his will and surrendered to what God wanted. And sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes it's black and white, other times it's grey. And sometimes, now please understand me on this, sometimes I think we can use the phrases like, well, I'm searching God's will in this situation as a bit of an excuse because you don't want to make a decision. You don't want the responsibility of making the decision and so you say, well, I'm searching God. Or it sounds a bit more Christian at least. Our walk with God is not a tightrope where we've got to walk like this. And you put one foot wrong and that's it, you've blown it. It's falling apart. Our walk with God is a wonderful wide field. And you know what? If you want to be a fireman, fine. If you want to be a lorry driver, fine. If you want to be a doctor, it's fine. But be a Christian one. Honour God in whatever you choose. God is not a control freak. He's not. There's freedom and liberty and he wants us to enjoy. You make the decision. What would you like to do? There's nothing more that you enjoy than seeing your children enjoying themselves. You know? And sometimes you say to your kids, what would you like to do? Or I say to Mara, you choose them. What do you want to do? Oh, don't know, don't know, don't know. Oh, he's asked me to make a decision. I can't. I'll tell you next Friday after I've fasted. <laughs> Love, it's a simple thing. It's either, it's either a Big Mac or a, or a KFC. It's not, it doesn't need to be prayer and fasting on this one. And the prayer and fasting mainly come in when they couldn't get an answer, didn't know what to do. But you can add, you can choose whatever you like. What? Crispy Queens, there you go. That says it all. Point and case, Crispy Queens. But do you know what I'm saying? 
those people who know their God will do mighty exploits because they know God. Noah was a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. So we've got to know God enough. We've got to be intimate enough. And I've shared this before. You know, you get intimate in a relationship. You know, I don't say tomorrow, oh, you know, do, do you have do you have butter on your toast or do you have it plain? She has butter. She has half a pan of blooming butter. She loves her butter. I'm picking on you today. She loves her butter. Well, there's some things we know. She doesn't make me a cup of tea and say, oh, do you have sugar? Love 30 years. 30 blooming years. You should know a thing or two now, love. Of course, one should. Do you know this? And sometimes we go to God like there's no relationship. Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't, I'll put a fleece, I'll do this, I'll do that. And I think to myself, do people not know their God? Do they not know the heart of God? And that would be really sad if my children didn't know my heart. What, you've got to ask me, Luke, you, you're asking me a question like that? Do you not know my love for you? Do you not know my heart for you? Of course you can sleep indoors, it's cold, son, I'm generous. <laughs> I mean, you can't be mean all the time, really. But you know what I'm saying? God know, you know, we've got to know our God, and, and that's where our security comes from. Because we can run to him and we can we can gather in his arms, say, Lord, I don't know why this has happened. I feel let down, I feel cheesed off of this, I'm fed up, I'm annoyed and I want my daddy. And I can just get in. Why? Because I know him. I know him. That's why I can get close to him in times of trouble. Because I know him. And if you don't know God enough, you'll turn to other things in times of trouble. Self. Anger. Frustration. Whatever it is. Food. Drink. Because you don't know your God enough. But when you know your God enough, you know you can just run in, kick the doors in, dive into his arms. And he lets us whinge. He does. He can take it. So how do we do these things? How do we walk in this? Well, Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So just walk in the Spirit. Spending time with the Lord. Sometimes I make decisions and I haven't heard the voice of God at all. I haven't heard it. God is not a, uh, you're not a puppet on God's knee where he's got his hand up your back and he's the only opinion that can come out, out of your mouth and we're all controlled by God. I make loads of decisions and I make them based on the character of God, the word of God. He's not coming up and down to me every five minutes saying, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 do that one. Oh, I've got to go back up Universal spirit and control, and off he goes again. Oh Lord, I don't know what to do. Comes back down there. Oh, I've got to go. Harry Kane's just stood up for a penalty. Uh, We know our God. We know his heart. Therefore, we will do mighty exploits because we know we've got the same pulse. Do you know your pulse is just the echo of your heartbeat? That's what your pulse is. Your heart's beating and your pulse is just an echo through the blood of your heart. 
I want to be so close to God that when his heart beats, I can feel the echo. I am the echo of his heartbeat. I don't know all the details. I'm not a genius. I can't fling the stars into space with my fingertips yet. But I know my God. I'm not taking a walk that I'm on a tightrope, that if I make this decision, that, that's it, that's the universe mucked up forever. If I get this one wrong, it's too much responsibility. I just look to his heart, say, what's your heart? And sometimes I make the wrong decision. Yeah, I know, hard to believe, I do. And do you know what? He doesn't reject me for it. He just looks at me and goes, son, that's why you have to die. That's what I'm talking about. His grace is sufficient for you. Even when we make the wrong decision, his grace is sufficient for you. Oh, praise you, Jesus. If we live life in the Spirit, we're not gratified the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Amen? I'm not under the law. Jesus has paid the price for my sin. I've been set free. I have eternal life. I'm seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, so I can't be a total dipstick because I'm seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. 1 Corinthians 10.31 and it says, So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. See, sometimes we make choices which are great for us. Great, you know, we think that would be great. Sometimes we make choices which are great for other people, crap for us. It's reality. I've made decisions that are really bad for me and Mara as a family, but they've been great for the Church of Jesus Christ. They've been great for other people. But they've not been great on a personal level for us. Not put us in a good place, particularly but that's the walk of sacrifice. That's laying my life down for the Lord and saying, well, as much as this isn't the best decision for me and my family, it is the better decision for the church. That's tough. That's hard. But that's what it is to be a disciple sometimes. You know? And the joy comes in is because God's got you no matter what. Amen? God has got us. So I just want to encourage you this afternoon. Tame your lions. If you've got an area of life, getting out, the fear's creeping in, or this is creeping in, or you be, tame your lion. It doesn't mean to say you've got to shoot it and put it down. You just need to bring it back to a place that it's tamed under the spirit. It's fine. Just reel it back. Don't let it manifest in the flesh. And if you're living your life a tightrope, that every decision almost is, is earth-shattering, you can't afford it, it's too much pressure. It's too much pressure. The kingdom's wide. 
God's heart is big. God's with you. You know, don't worry. Trust in his sovereignty. God has a plan for you. It's not totally dependent on you. He came up with it. You know, it would be unfair if it was all dependent on us and we're walking on this tightrope. Imagine our life with... You couldn't run, you couldn't relax, that's just tension and stress because you're, you're constantly worrying. And Jesus says, bring all your burdens to me, I'll have them, I'll take them. You're not meant to be filled up with burdens, that's not your job, you're meant to be free. You're meant to be living an abundant life. Wonderful. If you want prayer this afternoon, then I'll pray with you and for you. Are there areas that just maybe need to be tamed. Maybe you just need to, to walk in the Spirit. Stop looking for the signs and the wonders and the big confirmation with some things. Sometimes it's okay. Wheat a bit are fine, cornflakes are fine. Okay? You decide. And there's sometimes in life, that's the liberty that you have in Christ Jesus. You decide. You know, if you want to work for that company or this company, you decide. Should I buy this house or should I buy that house? You decide. What one do you like? Should I should I do this course? Should I do that? You decide. What what one would you like to? What one would you enjoy? But what you do? Invite me onto the course with you. Invite me round to your house and invite me to the workplace. That's it. You decide. Ah, oh, thank you, Jesus. You're so good at being God. I think you should do it full time. Amen? Let's pray. If you want prayer, you can come up. I'll pray with you. But Father, in Jesus' name, we just commit ourselves to you, Lord. I thank you. You've given us all things for our enjoyment. Father, forgive us when we allow religion to rob us of the joy. Forgive us when we take things from the Spirit into the flesh. Help us to know you better. Help us to Know your heart. Help us to be secure in you. That your love for us doesn't go up and down, decision dependent on the decision we made. You love us more or you love us less. That was decided at the cross. Even before the cross, while we were dead in our sin, that was already decided. You dealt with that and how much you love us. The Father, I pray for freedom and liberty. Freedom from the the, the, the lions that just sometimes run around in their life, fear of rejection, fear of making the wrong decision, constantly staying in no man's land, waiting for a sign and a wonder. Lord, I thank you for the life that you've given us and that it's a journey with you together in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would set us free to enjoy all that lies ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.